The technique I found that I used in angel groups is what I call the growth story. So that's what we do is you have to monitor it for two or three months to really see mm -hmm. that we're getting some traction and momentum behind this deal. No fair, we can't do anything until we always get 500K. I call that the, the, the salary entrepreneur, you know, pay me a salary and I'll work. Don't pay me a salary, I won't. And that's not quite how it works in the venture world. You kind of have to do a lot of sweat equity for uh, no no contribution back. And so that's that's why we came up with that is you, you kind of, the way I say it is you, you, you can't just forecast the, the, the growth story, you have to demonstrate the growth story. It's happening now, let me show you how it's working. The following is brought to you by Thrive, the end-to-end -end client experience platform that helps you get the job, manage the job, and get credit. Hey, hey, this is Gordon Henry at Winning on Main Street. And this week we get to meet Hall T. Martin, whose investor network, 10 Capital Network, has attracted over 16,000 investors and raised over $900 million that's been invested in hundreds of startups nationwide. Welcome, Hall. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. So we've been doing this for over 12 years now. We originally started in Texas under the name Texas Entrepreneurs Network back in 2009. We've been working with early stage companies, a lot of them over the years. Uh, kept growing our network till 2017. We had enough people that were asking us to help them outside of Texas. So we changed the name from Texas Entrepreneurs Network to 10 Capital. That's what 10 stands for. Started working around the country. And so we've been helping companies for a long time raise funding. And uh, we're well over that that number right now. We just every, every year sit down and add it up and uh, put the new number up. And we'll do that again soon. Impressive. So just to level set for our audience. So the mission of 10 Capital is to uh, make investors money and to fund worthy startups, right? That's correct. Okay. And I heard in your video on your website that in your first investment, you lost all your money. What mistakes did you make? What would you learn out of that? Well, that was uh, quite a, a good learning experience, uh, not a good investment, but uh, the lessons I learned out of it, and uh, there are many, is number one, look for startups that have skin in the game. When they tell you, that, sorry, we lost all your money, what they're saying is we didn't lose any of our money. And uh, that, that always uh, stings a little bit when you realize that. And then two, uh, know the CEO very well. Uh, I I'm here in Texas. And when I signed up, I, I should have made the decision, am I going to go to St. Petersburg, Florida every quarter uh, to join the board meetings or join whatever? And if the answer is no, then, then don't invest because you, you need to stay in touch with them and be there. Uh, another lesson learned is know who's on the board. When it went under, I finally asked him, uh, you guys made quite a few mistakes here along the way. Uh, who's your board? Who's watching over it? And the answer I got was, well, my father and my brother and my mm -hmm. sister. I said, that's, that's not a board, that's a Christmas card. And so <laughs> know the team very well. So that's, I think, the ultimate uh, message I give to anybody that wants to do startup investing is yes, you can look at the product or the space or the market, but spend the other 90% of your time talking to the team to know what's really there. Are they in how engaged are they and how much domain knowledge and so forth? Because in the end, that, that's the real factor. Okay. So I really want to dig into this world of, uh, of startup investing, both from the investor side and from the 
startup side because many of the folks listening to us are either startups or you know thinking about startups and so forth. So they may be really, really interested in exactly what you have to say on how they should uh, tap into funds like this. So you say in the video on your site, really interesting uh, uh, calculation here, that when you became director of your angel network, you heard from one angel investor group that of the 175 million that they'd invested in 181 deals, one returned, I think I got this right, one returned 200X, like 200 times their money, the next one was 7x their money. The next was 5x their money. The next four were 3x their money. The next 15 were 1.5x their money. And the bottom 150 deals, or 75% of all the deals, returned less than one times. So how does that math work for the investor? So it's the power law in early stage funding. You'll hear this uh, spoken of among venture capitalists. Uh, you know, the majority of returns come from a minority of the deals. So you say, uh, again, I'm quoting from your site, you say, uh, the biggest challenge is not avoiding those that crash and burn, but rather avoiding the lifestyle businesses looking for a place to happen. I mean, the startup that promises to be a rocket to the moon instead reaches a plateau becomes a lifestyle business for the founders, but nothing, not even a tax write-off for the investors. So how do you, okay, knowing that, how, how do you avoid those? So, yeah, so the rule there is out of 10 deals, one's a home run, one's a true dud. I mean, they file bankruptcy. Two or three have something of a return, uh, and the rest uh, turn into lifestyle businesses and are zero return or very, very minimal return. And so what I did in response to that is I came up with my own term sheet, and I call it the 3X and 3. That means it's a convertible note that matures in three years. And at year three, at investor sole discretion, the investor gets 3x their investment back, or they convert and go on the cap table with the original investment. And what they can't pay out, we just turns to a revenue share agreement. And so we'll be patient investors, but we'll get 3x our money uh, from it. And so basically, when the CEO sees that, they say, well, what are you going to do? And I say, I'm going to do what you're going to do. If you're increasing valuation, you're raising more funding, you're growing the business, I'm going to probably go on the equity track. If you have given up on raising funding, you're not increasing valuation, and this is just a nice, nice business for the three of you, uh, I'm going to join you. I'm going to be right there with you. Just add me to the salary table, and uh, let's just do that. And so <laughs> it's always about alignment uh, between mm -hmm. the investor and the startup. And when one changes to the other, that's when we have problems. And so I just designed my term sheet to change with them on that front. And I've always, I found, I put three years because that was about the time when it became very clear which way this was going and made the decision that way. Hmm. So probably the $64,000 question, how do you select the startups you want to fund? Uh, so, of course, you, you look at a strong team, you look at somebody that has a growth record, and the technique I found that I used in angel groups is what I call the growth story. So that's what we do is you have to monitor it for two or three months to really see mm -hmm. that we're getting some traction and momentum behind this deal. No fair, we can't do anything until we always get 500K. I call that the, the, the salary entrepreneur, you know, pay me a salary and I'll work. Don't pay me a salary, I won't. And that's not quite how it works in the venture world. You kind of have to do a lot of sweat equity for uh, no no contribution back. And so that's that's why we came up with that is you, you kind of, the way I say it is you, you, you can't just forecast the, the, the growth story, you have to demonstrate the growth story. It's happening now. Let me show you how it's working. So a lot of our listeners uh, run or aspire to run, you know, what I would call sort of local service businesses like uh, car wash or 
um, you know, some type of, you know, attorney or medical uh, professional type business or, uh, you know, other types of local service businesses, uh, landscaping, things like that. Should I assume then that those are not businesses that you guys would have any interest in or maybe only if it's tech enabled? It really needs to be tech enabled because you really need to get a, a strong valuation multiple out of it. So if it's got recurring revenue, a platform-based business or something unique in tech, data analytics is becoming a key one, AI as well. Well, then you get 10X the, uh, the multiple on revenue. If it's a service business like that, you're getting one to one and a half X in. Uh, it's just hard to make the business model work or, or an investor's business model work when you're getting only one and a half X. That's really more of a revenue share type program. And for some deals, that's that's the right message. Just let's, let's invest in it, but we're going to get a revenue share, not an equity pop. If somebody is say, has a really great idea for a, a car wash or a laundromat or something like that, that could be a nice business, but isn't you know specifically a tech business, maybe not a VC business. How would you recommend they go about fundraising? I would probably look at revenue-based funding in this case, go out and share a piece of the revenue going forward. Restaurants and bars and those have been doing this since the beginning of time because there, there really is no uh, market for selling the bar or the restaurant. It just gets shut down. Nobody's selling it to Google for 10X uh, revenue anytime <laughs> soon. So it's just a service business, which is, can be a good business itself. But that, that's really a revenue share agreement where you bring people in and they get some part of the top line revenue uh, until you get it paid back. And then it usually drops down to a little bit of a lower rate revenue for a period of time or forever. And that could be a very good business if you get a paycheck for the next 20 years because it was a successful restaurant. That that's a good business. So turning now back to your fund, how does an investor invest in one of your deals? So what we do is we have multiple ways that people come in and look at the deals. We have syndication platforms. We uh, have direct uh, introductions to the uh, deals that we've got. So they can come in and see what they are. We use special purpose vehicles for some of them as well. Some people like to be in a fund. Some people want to pick and choose with the SPVs and some people just want to invest directly. And so we foster direct investment into the startups as well. So we try to cater as, to as many of the investor uh, modes as we can uh, in our program because we, we, we do see a wide range coming through. Mm -hmm. How would you differentiate your network, which I guess I would call sounds like an angel network from a VC fund? How, how are those different? So an angel network is a collection of individuals who come together, pool their funds, and they invest in the deal, and they, they share the deal flow and the due diligence. Venture capital is institutional money. They, they're getting paid to go and manage this process. They get a carry on it in most cases. Sometimes angels get that, sometimes they don't. And so it's just a very different dynamic. They're getting paid to do this, while angels are usually investing their own money, and they're really not, nobody's getting paid to go work on this. It really is from the either a mission to help startups and foster the ecosystem, or it is to make money on the returns that might come out of it. So how does an individual investor, let's say a high net worth uh, accredited investor, get involved in your network? What are the mechanics? Well, we don't charge the investors to be a part of the program. They get to come in and they get to look at the deals and we figure out how they want to interact. Do they want to be in a syndication platform? Do they want to be in a fund? And then we put them into the right place based on what their interests are. So just turning to your other business that we were talking about before we got on the air, you, in addition to 10 Capital Network, you also hold a, a host a podcast and run events uh, through something called the Investor Connect. What, what is that? 
So that's a podcast program. It's actually a 501c3. I started back in 2013. So I interviewed, I've interviewed over 650 investors and starters about the fundraising process and investment thesis and all that goes with it. And so you can learn a great deal by logging on and listening to those. When I was an angel investor starting out, I did go to a lot of the uh, courses and webinars, but the, the best resource I found was the Frank Peters Show. It was a podcast from a Tech Coast angel in Southern California that did over 450 shows and he interviewed people on how they did diligence and so forth. And I learned more from that than I think anything else that ever, ever worked with. Hmm, fascinating. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but please stay with us. We'll be back with more from Paul T. Martin. When we started Alchemy in 2003, it was because we recognized that small business and professional practice owners need access to powerful marketing and business growth strategies just like the large regional and national firms. But we also recognize that these owners can't just stroke a ten dollars or $12,000 check every month to pay for an ad agency to produce those strategies. That's where Alchemy comes in. We are a full-service ad agency offering both online and offline strategies to help local businesses attract new customers and patients. And since we work with local businesses, many of them quite small, we've developed a modular approach that allows our clients to start with a few basics and a modest monthly investment, and then add additional marketing modules as their business grows. And we're back with Hall T. Martin, the head of 10 Capital Network and also Investor Connect. And uh, he was just talking about his uh, own podcast called Investor Connect. Uh, which I think will uh, be fascinating for people who are interested in learning more about uh, investing in startups. So love it if you could work through the economics for a venture investor. Like, let's get nerdy for a second. Let's say someone has 250 grand that they want to put into startups. First of all, is that enough money? Uh, when does the money go in? When does the money get back to them? And how long is that holding period? And what's the expected return? So if you have a chunk of money you want to put into startups, the rule is you need at least 10 investments to get what we call diversification. Like I said before, one in 10 will be a, a home run, two or three will be something, and the rest will be nothing. And so you take them out, you're going to dedicate to it 250K. Typically, that's three, no more than 5% of your disposable investment income. So you're highly diversified. No one puts their lifestyle at risk for this. And then you divide by 10, so you're going to be making uh, $10,000, investments. And you go out and you start setting up deal flow to look for deals that fit your investment thesis. And you start to deploy the funds, 25 for each one that goes forward. And with the world of crowdfunding coming up, we find many, many are coming in with say 100K and they're putting in five or 10K each on an investment in the crowdfunding world. And actually with some crowdfunding portals, you can invest for as little as a hundred or $500. So, you know, for 50K, you could come in and do the same thing. You can actually take your money and divide it across that many deals to find a hit and put it in. You'll spend the first three years deploying the funds. Uh, some people do it faster, but usually it's a couple of years to get it deployed. And your average hold time is in the, anywhere between five and 10 years. One reason I came up with the 3X and 3 is if it turns into a lifestyle business, you could be in there 10 to 15 years and then get maybe 
you know, 20% return on your money, which is an internal rate of return, which is what they use to measure these deals is very uh, poor. So the idea is you're going to be in there for probably five to seven years. And the winners will probably come out uh, around five, around year seven or nine at that point. Some will hang on longer, become bigger as they go forward. But that, that's how it works is you allocate funds, decide your investment thesis, deploy the funds, and then uh, look, look for the next thing. So you said the returns could come anytime between about year five and year 10. Uh, so is that coming uh, only when there's a liquidity event, the business uh, exits and somehow, or is there another way that you get your money back? It's primarily that you, they have to sell the business or go public or do something that, and now they're now sometimes when they raise a later stage round, if they get to the venture capital world, get to the series B or C stage, uh, some of those investors will come and buy you out for a nice multiple and give you the angel level return. And typically you don't have a choice about it. So it's a good thing. And so that that's, there's sometimes an exit from that side, but mostly it's when the company gets bought for whatever reason. Now, it seems uh, just observing, you know, VCs and, 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 and angels that this has become a much hotter thing to do than maybe when you first started out, that it's, it's you know, kind of a, a everybody and anybody is trying to be doing this. Um, is, it, is it more crowded? And uh, as a result, is it harder to find the good deals? You're right. You know, back in the 90s, uh, the angels were typically the only group in town outside of the banks that would put money in. And so they pretty much had the deal flow to themselves. Over time, you know, there's more more angels and angel groups out there. And then now they opened it up to crowdfunding. So anybody can invest in some of these deals. Venture Capital used to be uh, pretty much located in New York and the Bay Area between 2010 and 2015. I would fly out to those cities to build my network. Uh, today, they're everywhere. And now there's also micro VCs. Anybody with 10 or $15 million funds can also be engaged. So there's just so, so many more choices out there that are filling in the gaps. And you're right. The good deals don't uh, hang out on the street corner very long before they get picked up. And uh, you have to have a really good deal flow source to find the good ones to get in there. And for some of them, you have to bring something to the table beyond money, expertise, advice, or connections, or what have you. So it is more challenging to get into the good deals for sure. Interesting. Um, so Hall, th this has been a great conversation, and I'm sure lots of people who are listening would be interested in getting in touch with you, either to ask you for money or maybe <laughs> to invest. Uh, how do people find you? What's the best way to connect with you and get involved? Uh, through our website, tencapital.group.group. There's no .com on that. Uh, the, the .coms were taken up years ago, and I <laughs> wanted 10 because it was part of our old name. But tincapital.group is where you can connect with me and looking forward to catching up. And uh, if you want to hear our podcast, investorconnect.org is where our Investor Connect podcast site is. It, just so much weight on all the audios that we made, made a separate site, and that's, that's better. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, Hall, I truly appreciate you uh, stopping by today. This is great information, and I'm sure you'll be hearing from some of our uh, listener group. Great. Well, enjoy being on here. Thanks for having me. Well, great to have you on the show. And if you out there enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend or colleague to subscribe and please leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. Until next time, make it a great week.